0: We had the chance to sit down with Shanna and Rihanna to talk a little bit about law enforcement from the dispatch side. And they told a good story about working through an active shooter situation from behind the mic. I hope you enjoy it. And hello. Welcome to The Call. The name of our podcast is The Call, and we are ALERT. The ALERT program is a grant-funded, data-driven program uh, built to provide training to first responders around the country, and we are housed out of Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. My name is Eddie Molina, and I am the Southeast Regional Manager for the program, and this is my partner, Casey.
1: Casey Williams. I am the e-learning program manager for ALERT.
0: So we are doing this podcast in order to send pertinent information to the people that listen to us. And for us, it's all about the, the whole program. We talk, everybody uses the word holistic, and we want to talk about all facets of what we do as first responders. So today we're interviewing a couple, uh, a couple of gals who come from the dispatch side of things. The, the side that you don't get to see out on the streets, everybody on the street sees the, the, the people in uniform the people in the, in the, uh, the vehicles with the, um, with the flashy lights and all that. But the part that we don't get to see is who those people are actually talking to when they get on the radio. And we appreciate you guys being here to sit down and kind of share your side of, of what's going on in life from day to day. Um, how about some quick intros? Shanna, if you get started, just a quick uh, intro on you.
2: All right. My name is Shanna Dewey, and I work at the San Antonio International Airport. I am a operations supervisor, I'm a training supervisor, and I've been doing it for 10 years.
0: 10 years, wow, that's a great career, you've been having fun doing that. Rihanna, how about you?
3: My name is Rihanna Fincher, currently I'm an instructor at the Department of Criminal Justice Training. Um, I've been doing that for about two years, not quite two years. Before that, I was a dispatcher, a senior comm officer at the Vero Beach Police Department, and I was there for 16 years.
0: That's awesome. Vero Beach, that's a pretty area. It is. Is that home?
3: That is home. Oh, Born, awesome. Born and raised.
0: Born and raised in Vero Beach. Yes. All right. So what's the what's the best beach place to go to around there?
3: Uh, um, in Vero, I'd say if you go up to the north part of the county, the beaches are a little more quieter. Yeah. Um, if you stay in Vero and you're hitting J.C. and South Beach, they tend to be a little more populated
0: is there surfing there? What, there side, what, side of, what side of the peninsula are you all on?
3: We're on the east coast of Florida.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. So there's good surf there then. So you can go ahead and get some waves. That's great. Good Who surf, would... good diving. So Vero Beach, that, there's a um, spring training baseball there, isn't there?
3: Um, the Dodgers used to be there.
0: Oh, okay. That's yeah. where they used to be. Okay, That's but they it. moved since then. Okay, cool. All right, great. Um, Shannon, how about you? Where did you grow up at?
2: I grew up in a little town in New Mexico called Clovis.
0: Clovis, New Mexico. Eastern New Mexico. Now, has there been any? Has Clovis, New Mexico, been in any songs? Because I know there's like all the towns in New Mexico have some sort of song attached to it.
2: <laughs> no, actually, Clovis is known for archaeology. Oh yeah. Um, the Clovis Point, the arrow points, and they had a lot of uh, mammoths. So um, I used to go to the Eastern New Mexico University. And I cataloged um, mammoth teeth, which are really large.
0: You cataloged yes. mammoth teeth?
2: Yes. We went to digs, and we would dig up mammoth teeth. and So you catalog.
0: actually got to have your hands on a, a mammoth tooth? I did. Holy smokes. <laughs> I've, never met, I've never met anybody who can say that.
3: <laughs> go that to Peace River nice. in Florida.
0: Tell me. Peace
3: River in Florida. You can go and kayak canoe through there, and you get to um, scoop and look for fossils, and they find all kinds of stuff there.
0: No kidding? Yeah. Damn, I'm learning more and more every day. I love this. <laughs> All right, we're starting out in the right direction. All right, so you guys are here at the conference. We're actually recording this from, uh, from the conference, the alert conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And we have a yearly conference we put on to, for, with a purpose or with the, the hope of providing training, new training to the first responder world and to the military operator world. And one of the big focuses for ALERT, we started out as a a program teaching people how to respond to active shooter situations. And we started out with, uh, we have three different sections that we look at the most. It's how to stop the killing, how to stop the dying, and how to get the injured people to the help as quickly as possible. And so what we have found through the years of our training is the step that everybody was missing in all the training that was being put out is how do you integrate all the facets of what's actually going on out there. And everybody has great training out there for law enforcement, and there's some great training out there for fire. But when we start talking about how we get those guys out there and work together, people were leaving out that component of dispatch. And when we, when we put out our, uh, our integrated class, it's an active, active attack integrated response. It's the air program. One of the things that we really like to do is to incorporate the dispatch component so that we can actually have a fully working machine because without that part of the cog, without that cog in our gears, there's nothing that's going to happen. If we leave that out, communication falls apart. So the communication section is always necessary for us to function fully. So what drew you all to service in that field?
3: In dispatch? Yeah. Um, I kind of always knew I was going to be in public service. I started out as an EMT, and then when I moved back to Florida, back home, um, I saw an ad on the local county channel for a dispatch position, and I applied for it, and I got into it and fell in love with it.
0: Wow, that's great. So how many years did you do as a dispatcher?
3: It was 16 years, not quite 17.
0: Wow, that's great. So you were working for the county? For the city. For the city. Mm -hmm. So was there different levels to go through as a dispatcher?
3: Yep. You start off as a call taker. Our department actually set up. um, You'll find it in a lot of departments that you start off and you're always going to do the same job. It doesn't matter the title you have. A dispatcher is a dispatcher is a dispatcher. But you start off here and then there's nowhere to go. So our department actually set up steps for us to keep us there longer, to make it a career right. more than just a job.
0: Oh, that's great. That's yeah. a good, and so the, as long as you're making the people that work for you happier and feel like they're actually doing something, they're actually to be content, and they're going to keep working harder to get better at what they're doing, and they're not going to want to leave.
3: If you give them goals to achieve, they're not going to want to leave. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: And, that, and that's a good concept for any business across the, across the board, across the world. Um, so dispatching. How about for you, Shanna? What, dro- what drove you into public service?
2: I kind of fell into it myself. Um, I, I don't have like a definitive answer to that. Um, I moved to San Antonio. I actually grew up in San Antonio as well, and I moved back to San Antonio, and there was a job listing for the airport, and um, I got the job at the airport, and when I first started working at the airport, we have airport police, fire, EMS. It was a little bit different. It wasn't exactly the same thing as working for the city or the big app like SAPD. You were working more on aviation-type emergencies. But the bigger that the airport has gotten, the levels of crimes and the type of situations that we've had have changed and evolved. And so we've had to evolve with it. And so a lot of the training that um, wasn't available when I first started, I sought out on my own. And then um, we went over, have new management and everything, and they've done a great job of making sure that not only are we well-trained and frequently refresh our training, but kind of like Rihanna said, you know, they kind of... Give you ownership of your job and your position, so there's abilities to move forward, and to to own the job, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. that's great. And you you, you speak highly. You, you spoke highly of the management providing yeah. this new this new outlook on the training and and on the actual job. So when you talk about the management, are you talking about the, the, uh, the police function, the people that came in as police officers in there or the police management, or are you talking about the actual dispatch management?
2: I'm um, speaking about the dispatch management.
0: That's great. And um. I think anytime you're in any industry where, where somebody that works at that place is willing to speak highly of the management, that, that's like the first telltale sign that you're going to have a successful place or successful place of business. And that's great. So both of you are speaking the same way. It's like we're, we're looking for ways to pump up the people. Right. That's great. So cool. So now you all have been in dispatch for quite a while, and at Alert, we actually offer um, uh, we have a we have a connection, we have a direct link to the Teaks Group, where where we have a training for dispatch, and it's actually focused on dispatching active uh, active attack uh, incidents. Now, I know you had some input on having that built up, Shannon. Can you tell us a little bit about what you what part you took in that? <clears throat>
2: When I first started researching active shooter incidents, it was interesting because um, one of the other dispatchers said, well, what would we do if we had an active shooter? And nobody could say what we would do. In fact, one of our old um, directors said, well, I'm going to call 911. And I thought, well, we have airport police here. We don't need to call 911. We're the ones that are going to be sending everybody out there. And so I wanted to know, how PD would respond, how EMS would respond, how everybody else is going to be responding so I know what I need to do so I can be proactive. And I met Terry Nichols with Alert, and he was great. He put me in touch with um, the Alert program. I got to see Wayne Freeman um, in one of the breakout sessions. Um, I think it was like five years ago. And so Wayne and I started working together, and I, I ask a million stupid questions just so I can make sure it's cemented in my head. And so we worked together to bring up the e-learning based on the craze training from Alert um, on managing an active shooter incident as the dispatcher, where you're doing more than just, hey, you need to go over here. It's, it's much, much more evolved than that.
0: Yeah, and so, for those of y'all who are watching or listening, Wayne Freeman is—I uh, he, guess he's the basically the director of training for uh, for South Carolina. Yes, and I'm- that guy has facilitated more training for the state through Alert than probably anybody else in in the books. Um, great guy, and he's actually here presenting again this year. So he's a consistent supporter of the program. But he's one of those guys that if you actually call him, he's going to return the call. If you yes. send him an email, he's going to return. He's going to actually answer. And that's one of the, the integral parts of creating a good community is that you actually have to respond to the communication. So communications and responding to communications. So I'm, I, I, I bounce back and forth all, all across the board. So what's your all's key move? What's, what's your best move when somebody doesn't respond to you? When you're calling one of those cops out to put them on a call and they don't respond to you? What's the, what's the move you all have up your sleeve?
3: <laughs> what's in our trick bag? Yes. Um, yeah, call them again. <laughs> and if they don't answer again, you're sending back up. I need another unit out there, I need to know what's going on, I need to know now. You're toning them out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're gonna answer you, you one way or another. Tones. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, and for those of you all listening, when they say tone them out, that's one of those emergency tones that goes out when you're uh when you're in a restaurant or you're somewhere out in public and you hear those emergency tones going out, it's like a real loud. Be-doo-dee-doo-dee-doo. Yes, I did that on camera.
1: No, um, these these, uh, these ladies seem like a, a constant single tone. It is um, a single tone. It's the, the single tone. The to- be-doo-dee-doo-dee-doo
3: is clearing that traffic.
0: Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: The loud single tone, it's like your heart just stopped. That's basically what happened. So, yeah, so and, and that's that tone that goes across all the channels and lets everybody know that either somebody's in trouble or somebody's not responding, right? So we need to get somebody help to them. And that brings everybody back to actually paying attention to what's going on in the radio. And we talk a lot about the communication loop. And communication, it's it's a signal that we send out, and it it is received by a person. Or we're sending a message, and we're the sender. The receiver has to actually receive the message and return some sort of communication. And that's what we call the communication loop, right? But if at any point that communication loop is broken, then that's when we hit the tone, and we start speaking a little bit louder, or sending back, like you said, and that's across across life that's just a, a consistent thing if we don't have good communications going on then we have to build up from there so communications now y'all are building up different communications uh, styles and we've been talking a lot we've been talking to you guys this week about maybe adding on to a tactical response type of a type of a plan for dispatch you guys are you're you're a, you're a trainer now you're a dedicated trainer in mm-hmm. Florida so in Kentucky I'm sorry in Kentucky um, You're a dedicated trainer now for the Department of Justice there. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that have changed along the way since you started dispatching to now? What are some of the things that you've seen changing for what's going on for dispatch and what's going on for the training of dispatch?
3: Um, It's not just in an airport setting, like Shana was saying, as far as the level of crimes and stuff that are happening, that are changing. It's happening across the board. things are becoming more severe. So I personally feel I'm very passionate about training. Um, I don't feel that dispatchers are up to that level. And I'm not saying for every agency, and I know agencies have issues with budgets and sending dispatch to training and that kind of stuff, but I think they need to start realizing it's got to happen. Everybody has got to be on the same page to get these responders going and to get the help out there that needs to be out there as quick as possible
0: yeah absolutely and i think that's a consistent message that you'll find whether you're asking dispatch or you're asking the law enforcement side you're asking the fire side or even if you're asking the military side when everybody's not at the same level or nobody's up to playing at the same level then we have to fix something along the way so we look at what's happening on the training side and how do you how do you fix what's going on, on the training side but you have to set standards And if you don't have a good standard by which to operate on daily, or by which to train, then you won't have a a good standard on how to operate on a daily basis. So we look at setting standards for the industry, and that's what what one of our aims is in our program. So how have the standards changed, or what are some of the standards that you guys are looking to, to square away?
3: I think getting more training out there for dispatchers, more up-to-date training, joint training with their responders. I think that's the key right there. You hear all the time about SWAT going out and training, SWAT going out and training this. Now they're starting to bring in that EMS, the tactical EMS and everything into it as well. Something that Alert has been pushing so much and what we just sat through in our class was bringing dispatch into that now too. I mean, I look at it like, Wayne kept saying, we are a team, and you are part of the team. I played basketball for years. You don't go to practice, and the point guard sits out and doesn't practice with the team. That's kind of what's happening with dispatch. Dispatch is kind of the point guard of the team. We're the ones that are directing. We are kind of the overseers of everything, but we're being left out of that training, and I think that's a big problem.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, and, and I, think, I, I, I think both of us would agree on that. It's like we can have all kinds of cool training out there, But even when we set up on a house as a a SWAT guy, even when we set up on a house without having good communications, without having a good person to relay the messages back to, everything would break down. And we definitely agree with you. So we have to increase the level of training, right? Mm -hmm. Better training is what's going to make better cooperation. Go ahead.
1: I've uh, never heard it as the uh, point guard, but that's uh, pretty impactful if you think about it because when we would have dispatchers attend the air classes that we put on, I loved it because I got to tell them, hey, now you know what's going on, now you know what should be going on, and if that stuff doesn't happen, you can prompt those things mm-hmm. to happen, just right. like a point guard, as the things are happening.
3: It helps It helps us do our job, and that's something that I preach to who I teach now, and when I was a CTO back at my agency. We have to look ahead. So if I have a little bit of knowledge about what you guys are doing out there, I can say, okay, I'm putting myself in his shoes, I need to start thinking about... X, Y, and Z, because right now we're at A, B, C, okay, so I need to start looking ahead and start making those preparations.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I mean, while we are doing, on the law enforcement side, A, B, and C, we're not thinking X, Y, and Z, because we're dealing with the A, B, and C type problems, but having somebody that's in the backfield, right, or Mm -hmm. as the point guard running down, hey, this is what needs to happen while somebody's dribbling the ball, they don't need to think about it. Absolutely. That's... That's a pretty awesome thing.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, a, it's a great analogy because we know that. So just like there there's uh, more proficient cops and less proficient cops, are the guys that will achieve more in the day than there will others, we know that most of, the, most of the good dispatchers, they will have ordered up anything else that we need before we need it, and they will have that all rolling by the time we get to that point in any call. And we know that that's true. But, yeah, that's that's a great analogy. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, so what's the difference between the group that you all trained with and the group that you all are training now? Because I know from the from the first responder side or the law enforcement side, I know things have changed along the way. And I when we hit the 20-year mark, one of my partners, one of my buddies from Austin, he, he gave me that story. He said, man, I remember those guys that when we were 20 years on or when we were brand new, they were 20-plus. They were so negative, and they thought we were all a bunch of wussies and we're gonna, we didn't know what we were doing. He says, I think I became one. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I totally get it because we're at 20 years now, and our generation is different from their generation, but their generation was different from the guys 20 years before them, and those guys thought that they were going to get their butts kicked. So it's like that. It's a cyclical thing. What's the difference in the people that you all are seeing coming in now that want to be dispatched because I think on our side – what I see, anyways, is the new generation is exposed to all of the tech tech stuff that's out there, and I I personally think that the new guys out there are a lot smarter, a lot more educated in the stuff that's going on out in the streets. What are you guys seeing on on the dispatch side?
3: So speaking about generational differences in a dispatch center, it can get a little touchy because unlike you guys, where y'all can, you can. <laughs> go into your vehicles and go to different zones and this and that and be away from each other, it's a little bit easier to handle. But in dispatch, you're thrown all Mm -hmm. in a room together. So you have to overlook the generational differences and start building off of each other's strengths. So you have your older dispatchers that know policy and procedure, that know their guys, that know what they're going through, that know this. But you have the newer generations that are coming in that are super tech savvy, and they're very quick to pick things up on the computers. Um, That brings me into the whole next-gen thing and the new technologies and stuff that are coming out there that are being pushed, you know, um, the simple basic stuff like text to 911 and what that has opened up for 911 dispatching. When we have a caller that calls in now, if they can't speak to us but they're in a position to text, we're still able to get that information that we can get to our responders. You look at Rapid SOS. that's given us the ability to not only not to give us a radius of where this person is calling from, but is actually pinpointing the room that they're in in a house, and we're able to see that. That's helpful for you guys. Um, I just had a student tell me the other day about something called 911-I. Amazing technology, and when it gets out there to everybody, it's going to be super, super cool, especially for the first responders and their safety. So the story that he shared with me was they had a call about a prowler. The person called on their cell phone, and with a smartphone, um, and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but they're given a code that they can get into and they can access that caller's video and pictures. So the caller's videoing and can see the officer pull up, can see everything, and the caller is telling the dispatcher it's behind him. The dispatcher is seeing on the screen that the prowler is behind the car that the officer can't see, and it says he's on the other side of the car. So that was amazing. That's technology working for us. Wow. That
0: does sound great. Mm -hmm. Technology, I think, has been the growth for all of us in all of our industries, and technology just continues to get better and better. I know that when when I was a street cop, we had what we called MDTs uh, or MDIs in our cars, and it was a cool computer where we could get all kinds of stuff. But the computer, that computer versus what was there, the laptops that were in the cars when I left the department, it was a night and day difference. And I remember the old guy saying, yeah, back in my day, there was computers in none of the cars or just one car in the district had, uh, had a computer. Or none of them had cars or none of them had computers. And I remember one guy actually was around for a little bit too long. He says, I remember back in the day when we worked downtown patrol, we didn't have radios. We had call boxes. And we'd go from one call box to the next. And that's just, you know, it's ridiculous how much technology has grown along the way. But, yeah, I agree with you. Those are, those are great improvements just for our life in general. Right. These
3: are just the basics. I mean, what they have and slated to come out, is going to be game changing.
0: That's awesome. Game changing. I love hearing that. So, what are some of the changes that you think that we need to be making going forward in, in the, I guess, in the training for dispatch? And plus, we're, we've been talking about creating a better tactical response that includes the dispatch. What are the main changes that we need to look at?
2: Well, I believe very strongly that one of the first things that we need to do is we need to train dispatchers hands on just like we do PD and fire. We need the stress inoculation. We need PD and dispatch to train together so we see what you're going through. So we understand both sides of, you know, on our side of the mic and what's going on. We need to understand what your level of response is. Understanding the level of response is gonna help us as dispatchers to be much more proactive to have things waiting for you. You, you talked earlier about you know, there are certain dispatchers and they've got stuff waiting for you. I believe that hands-on training and a lot of training with the people that we work with on a regular basis kills the complacency, which is very dangerous. And it also it builds up more of a situational awareness across a, a spectrum of response. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you can edit that out. But we definitely need more stress inoculation. When you guys are over there and you're on the gun range and you're shooting, some of our dispatchers, some of my guys, they've never shot a gun. They know nothing about guns. They don't understand the tunnel vision. They get angry when the officer doesn't answer them right away. Understanding the ins and outs of physiology, et cetera, are very important. And so I think that dispatchers normally learn in a, a lecture type a situation environment that doesn't do them any good. It's it's one thing to, you know, have textbook learning and it's another thing to be in the middle of it so to speak.
3: Typically speaking as adults, you know, you need to meet all of those learning. So you need to have a visual, you need to have an auditory, you need to have a kinesthetic, so hands-on. Just like you do hands-on at the gun range or with your handcuffing or whatever it is, it's good for us to have that hands-on too to build that muscle memory. Um, These are, when you're, especially when you're talking about active shooter events or active assailant events or anything like that, they don't happen that often, and you guys know as well as I do that you're going to lose it if you don't use it. And, you know, Shana had mentioned being complacent. I think dispatchers are super guilty of that. We sit in a little box, and we're safe, and we don't see everything outside. You know, so we do become very complacent. But if the training is, is implemented on a regular basis and they're brought into those joint trainings, like I was saying, um, it's going to help break that shell it's going to, try to bridge the gap between dispatch and responders and it's going to build that trust between the two so when an event does happen everybody's operating at the same level
0: yeah absolutely and and you spoke to something that so so uh, my girlfriend had to ask me so what's the deal with the, the rivalry between cops and dispatch and <laughs> firefighters and it? yeah it's like <laughs> they
2: don't bring us cookies
0: well yeah and, and so she's like I, well, I know that's a that's a, that's a shame is, so if you're listening
1: to this and you're on duty, go bring your dispatcher some cookies and we I don't care where dispatchers. you are. Yeah, love your dispatchers.
0: <laughs> Yeah, and and so I, when she asked me that, I was thinking, well, what's? she's like, what is it? I said, well, one of the things is we don't really know each other unless you make an effort to go up and get to, to know them. I was lucky I had good FTOs that took me up into the dispatch center when I was in UCOP, Said this is where they sit. And so I told her that, one of the things that was consistent across the board is that dispatch is always set up and it seems to be pretty consistent. There's a room with no fricking windows and you guys get put in front of a console with several different screens there. And you're in charge of running a whole patrol section or a whole section of the city, whether it's for, for cops or firefighters. And there's no physical connection to anybody. You have no, there's nothing, there's no sun shining on you. There's none of the, the, you know, the, the, the vitamin D coming through the window but there's none of that, and we don't actually have that visual where we look, where we know each other. And there's a complete separation of that. So it's easy to, to trash talk each other. Now, God forbid you all get on the bad side of of any of it. We're gonna be there to take care of it. It's like a brother-sister thing. But we know that's a natural rival rivalry that gets set up. So that's the best way I could explain it, is like how can how can there be success when we don't know each other? And but I we we totally agree with the fact that we need to get Dispatch put together with all of our training because we want you to know what's happening out there Because we don't need dispatch thinking. Well, why is this guy taking so long to handcuff somebody? We want you to go put hands on somebody put handcuffs on them So you can understand what it is they're going through and you guys speak to it so clearly and so well because you all understand it Not because it's a natural thing But because you guys have the years of experience of knowing the stuff that's actually going on out there in the field and for us having been behind the uh, behind the badge for so long we know that that's a, a valuable thing for us is to have somebody that actually understands us better. So thank you for pushing that out there. You guys have been integral in setting up training, creating new training, and you're pushing new training still. But you created, you helped create a cool program that we offer online, and, and we can create links to it. We'll talk about that more, about the uh, the links to getting to that program that we offer through Teeks and anybody, any of the dispatchers are available to take that. They can just pop online and take that class through Teaks. Yeah. But you helped create a, um, a program that deals with responding to an active shooter type of situation. Right. And you guys actually had one at the San Antonio Airport.
2: Yeah, we did.
0: <laughs> Tell me a little bit about it.
2: Well, um, it was several months ago, and... We had an individual that was off of, um, in San Antonio, he was um, off 281 and 1604, and he was taking pot shots at everybody, and I worked B-shift, so I heard about it on the news, and so I kind of, you know, filed it away, and when I got to work, I was like, hey, guys, there's somebody hunting off 1604 and 281. He didn't hit anybody. Be alert, because he's looking And no sooner had I said that, that later everybody was ready to kill me, but um, we got a call for a wrong way driver, and it ended up, you know, being him, then we got a shots fire call. I will say that um, Wayne Freeman taught me tactical breathing, and in all the time that I've been riding active shooter training and doing the training on teaks and I had not actually experienced anything like that. I did a lot of hands on training with my guys, and I got my officers involved because they love to yell at us. And so I wanted to make it as realistic as possible. But I ran our department through every phase of an active shooter from people calling who can't, who are peeing themselves and can't see, you know, can't give you any intelligible information to the officers, we ran through the whole gamut. When I first, we first had that shots fired call come out, I was, you know, that first second, I was like, oh my God. And I did tactical breathing and it was just like, all right, I know exactly what I need to do now. Every active shooter incident is gonna come in, it's gonna be different, but the response is always going to be basically the same. And so practicing that response is important for PD, for fire, for dispatchers. After the incident happened, every guy in the comm center looked at me and they were like, everything you said was going to happen happened. I knew exactly what to do. And that was because of alert. So, you know, I, I think that the training right there was, it was, it was a horrible situation. It was scary as hell. All my officers were, and, and you know you mentioned earlier about the relationship between dispatchers and police officers, they're all my guys and my girls, and I love them dearly. And um, Wayne said it earlier, I, they're mine to hurt, <laughs> nobody else's. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just I, in awe that I get to work with people that run towards the danger on a regular basis, and that I get any small part in making sure that when they're doing that, they're doing so with the best information possible, is you know very humbling. But yeah, we did have our little active shooter, and um, it was scary stuff. it's one yeah, thing and the, to way, train.
0: the and the way you put it together, uh, the way you push it out there. Um, what we talk about when we study when we study leadership, we talk about ownership of, of what we're doing, ownership of uh, ownership of our mistakes, ownership of the problems, ownership of the programs, and you're taking ownership of it. And that's what we do on all, on all counts. But it's like you said, they're mine. They're mine to her. And oh it's like, guys. when I spoke of it, I said, the, I used the word rivalries. And when you spoke of it, you used the word relationships. And yeah. that's exactly the kind of stuff that we talk about. It's like, it, it is, it's a relationship, like it, it's a natural rivalry. and It's, it's a love hate thing. thing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's Absolutely. It's brothers and sisters. <laughs> but it's what you make of it, right? Yes. And if you do take ownership of that, that's what creates a the better bond. But yeah, by all means, it's like when people ask about what's the what's the natural what causes that, it's because we don't get to see each other. We don't get to know who each other is. And, I, and that's just my opinion.
3: I challenge everybody to meet them. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Take the time. I was very fortunate to come from a a smaller agency. I knew my guys. I knew their wives, I knew their kids. They knew my son. We grew up together. I tell my students all the time during team building, we're part of this team. Do stuff to to bring them in. So we used to do a carry-in. So me and my partner, we would cook breakfast or dinner or whatever. The guys would come in. That was our time. You know, we, we got to make those connections and everything. I think it's very important to make those connections. Because if I have a connection to you, I'm, I'm more protective over you. If you're a, a number on the other end of the radio and I've never met you, right. I don't know you. You know, am I still going to do my job? Sure. Am I going to go at it? Maybe an extra step if I know you and you're friends with me, and I'm friends with you, it makes it a little more personal.
0: Definitely. So we have a dispatcher in San Antonio. Um, so she was on the she was on the mic the the night that her husband died in a, in an accident, um, and she was actually had to dispatch through that, you know, Kim. Definitely. So um, I won't talk a lot to the incident or about her, but she's she's great. Um, what are some of the scarier incidents that you guys have had to dispatch? Now, obviously, the, an active shooter situation would stand out, and that's a that's a big mm-hmm. one. Is there any any standout incidents that you guys have?
3: Um, I've had several through <laughs> my years. I'll tell you about my first hot call because it sticks with me. Um, I had just come off a of training. I just made partner, and I'm sitting there. and 911 rings, just like any other day, and I pick up the phone. 911, where's your emergency? And all I hear is this kid who I at first I thought was a girl because his voice was so high-pitched. high, high pitched. And he just screams in my ear. My mom just blew her fucking head off. And as I was talking to him, I'm trying to get EMS going and everything, um, his dad picked the gun up and put it to his head. And I was like, oh, my God. So I reached over. I toned it out. Our chief of police was actually the first one on scene. He was down at Walgreens buying a card for his wife. He was the first one on scene. They were able to talk dad down. Um, that was my very first hot call. That was the call where I sat back in my chair afterwards and I said, "Can I do this for the rest of my life?" Wow. Yeah, that one sticks with me.
0: Wow, that's a great story. And, and I I'm, feel I'm perso- like...
3: personally traumatized by that. Now. Yeah, <laughs> I, lo- I,
0: I love the way you wrap that up. That because that's a, that's a, it's an honest thing. Is like, am I am I capable of doing this for the rest of mm-hmm. my life? Because that's you know that's I think we've all had incidents like that. But yeah, that's your calling. That's your calling. And although you may have, may say that you asked yourself that, you already knew the answer to it because that was your calling to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, is there any component out there for dispatch in your area or dispatch across the country to allow for uh, the resiliency side of things, or to provide for any mental health uh, mental health help out there? Because you guys are dispatching the Las Vegas shootings. You guys are dispatching the the active shooter at the at the airport you guys dispatch all those things. Are there any new components out there for mental health components for uh, for the dispatch side?
2: Adam Tim does a healthy dispatcher where they do a lot of stress um, oh. stress exercises and stuff like that. And they talk about wellness and holistic ways of doing um, things. We're going to have a new, um, supposedly someday, we're going to have a new comm center and it's going to have a quiet room. And so you'll be able to Walk out and and it's leave actually the becoming really
3: popular. I've heard a lot of the students come through, and yeah. their agencies are building those spaces for them to go to. It's
2: a good place to decompress and, and everything. I think every dispatcher um, call taker has those moments throughout their career where you're you, I don't know if I could do this, how would I do this? Um, I have a, a brother in law that was um, killed. In the line of duty, and it was right when I first started dispatching, and I remember thinking, "How how can I do this? Can I do that? Can I send somebody to an incident where they're going to end up dead?" Yeah. And it was really hard, and and the the question kind of answered itself. I wanted to make sure that you know he, he was really close with the the dispatcher, and. Um, Knowing that somebody, even, you know, you have to send the guys in. Wayne calls calls officers, attack dogs, and um, that really struck with me. He's like, you're going to take the muzzle off and let us go and, and wag her tail and bite things, and but we know what we're going into. And so you send them in with as much knowledge and, and abilities as you can, and at least somebody on the other side of that radio cares uh, with the current state of events, the way everyone... Is treating officers these days. You need all all the
3: love you can get, I guess, on the other side of the radio. Um, I'd like to think that the departments are starting to realize that dispatchers are they have trouble dealing with the calls that they take every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can hear it emotional. <laughs> I would like to see every place do. Now, something that's very interesting that the state of Kentucky does at their training, they have a a resiliency section, um, and that's all they do. They teach stress and wellness. They teach resiliency. They do uh, um, something called PCIS, which is a three-day event for first responders or for law enforcement to include their dispatchers. That's amazing. So their dispatchers are able to go and decompress just as much as our law enforcement officers. And I wish every state had that same thing, because not all states are that way.
0: Yeah, PCIS is a great program. We know, we know we've heard it from several different people from different states, and mm-hmm. we know that that's a great program that's out there. And you talked about a program earlier. Do you want to mention that on air while we're talking about it? Something you had written down, maybe a foundation that's helping dispatch out?
2: Um, the Denise Amber Lee Foundation. They are a clearinghouse for some of the best dispatch training, um, it was born out of tragedy um, but they have a lot of really great training and they're holistic as well um, I take a lot of their training I use a lot of their training in training my guys um, of course you could just look it up Denise Amberlee Foundation.org mm-hmm. um, but yeah they're they wanted to make sure that dispatchers were trained to certain levels and standards it's not just you get somebody over there and they're behind a radio and boom they're a dispatcher there are more important aspects to being a dispatcher communication, communication. sharing information all of that type of um, are you familiar
3: with Denise amberley and that story
0: no not at all
3: okay Denise amberley was a um She had two kids, I think? Yeah, she had two children. Two children. Um, She was at home. She was kidnapped. There was a call placed. um, Her dad was law enforcement as well. Um, They started looking for her. There was some miscommunication with a second call that came in to a different dispatcher, and that caller saw her, and at that point she was still alive. And there was never, that gap was never bridged between those two calls, and that information wasn't given There was, from what I understand, there was a law enforcement officer that was right close to her, um, and had that information been gotten out to them, they might have saved her life.
2: The caller was following. He kidnapped her, Mm -hmm. and um, she called, and she was on the phone with the call taker, and another person saw her head kind of bouncing up and down in the back seat, and she felt like she was in danger, so she called, but the information didn't get shared, and unfortunately,
3: she, um, she was found very similar to what happened with Kyle Plush in Ohio. You wow. have different call takers, um, and them not putting two and two together, that it's the same call, that they're related, and that information not getting out there when it could have saved lives.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Guys, you all have done an incredible job of sharing all the information. We've covered so much in such a short amount of time. Is there any thoughts y'all want to push out there, anything y'all want to wrap up with, some closing thoughts?
3: Train, train, train. <laughs> yeah. Train a um, lot, bring your dispatcher cookies. Yes, <laughs> um, include dispatch and in training. I mean, they're they're truly a vital link there. I do wholeheartedly believe that dispatchers are one of the most underutilized resources that first responders have.
2: Correct. You're only as strong as your weakest link, and if you never train your dispatchers, then how can you expect them to perform if they've never, if they don't understand what you're doing and your response to different types of incidents, and if you don't have any idea of what they're capable of or what the dispatch concept is, I mean, at the airport, we can, we're running cameras, we're investigating things for the officers, we're, we're right there, but there needs to be more training together that's integrated.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I cannot agree with you all more. I've been fortunate to have a lot of great dispatchers and impact my life along the way. And my last assignment in the police department was working a, a, a short-term covert unit and our dispatcher handled not only the regular dispatch duties, but he was also our research component. And he would do on the fly research. And I, I mean, I tell you, if you sneezed close to a computer, he could find you. And it was a great, it was just great to have him care that much. But yeah, he became part of the family. And that's, that was one of those things. Having that connection, having him actually in the office with us was a big deal. Cannot thank you all enough for being here and taking the time to share with us. Casey? Hey, thanks,
1: everybody, for uh, watching and or uh, watching and listening. Y'all do me a favor. Tell me if you like the title of this uh, podcast, Dispatchers, the uh, point guards of the call. And with that, visit us at alert.org. That's A-L-E-R-R-T torg If you have a login, log in. If you don't create one, go to the top left of that homepage. It says e-learning on there. You can click on the e-learning portal. You will get prompted over all those TEKS courses that we've been talking about are on our own LMS. For questions, comments, concerns about the call and this podcast, you can email us at thecall@alert.org. And with that, we're out. Fade to black. Thank you. I
0: thought you guys were nervous.